0: to let's face the facts the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom the facts of life join us each week as we synopsize analyze criticize and ultimately idolize the show and now here's your host of let's face the facts the wonderful david almeida
1: thank you matthew arter welcome back it's another show another week Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew and I welcome back actor Paul Vogt to complete the premiere of season eight, out of peak skill now part two, which had an original air date of September twenty seventh of nineteen eighty six. Last week, we talked to Paul about his theme park and TV careers. Well, this week, we have a really fun talk about his stage work on Broadway and on the national tour stages. So I hope you enjoy it as much as we did having him on the show, and let's get right to it, huh? Let's face the facts with Paul Vote. Well, welcome back. Second time, part two of two. Paul
2: Vogt is here. Hello, it's so nice to look at that. Everything looks so different.
1: I know, I love the outfit you wore this week. That's great. Thanks,
2: it's an homage to the wedding. <laughs> pads and flowing jersey. Oh,
0: flowing. <laughs> and uh, how were you this week, Matthew? Well, I decided since Paul was so nice to come back, I would shower. Oh, OK, so, good. But did you wear play. pants
1: like you promised?
0: I did not. Oh. I, I, I just couldn't. I uh, like Joe Polnicek going to the network. <laughs> I, I said I refuse. And and, and... <laughs> you're like my
2: character,
1: Matthew Arder, would not wear pants on this. Would podcast. not wear pants. So it makes, the,
2: sense. it makes sense. It's all about you.
1: artistic integrity, man. That's what it is. Yes. Well, let's get right to this season eight, episode two, out of Peak Skill Part Two. This was the second half of the hour from September twenty seventh of eighty six. As I said before, this was a one hour special. It was uh, not broadcast in two parts, and this half, Mister Paul Haggis uh, did not collaborate with Michael Moore. He brought in Richard German. Richard Gurman has not written for the show before, but he will go on to write later in the season, a show called X Marks the Spot. That's the one where we meet Beverly Ann's ex-husband, played by Dick Van Patten, and uh, the new woman in his life, of course, played by the wonderful Lois Nettleton. Do you know who Lois Nettleton is?
2: I know the name, yes.
1: Yes. Lesbian. Lesbian. Oh, is Hidden- that? Isn't Danny Thomas one of them? That was her. She was uh, Jean on the Golden Girls as the lesbian friend who develops a crush on Rose. Right. Yeah.
2: right. Mm-hmm. She's a dramatical actress, though. Like, wasn't she in, in a lot of dramatic films?
1: I think she had that, but a lot of comedical work, too, in her resume. So, yeah, she was kind of a...
0: She was Dotsie May in the movie version of um, Little, Best Little Warehouse in Texas
1: oh sure do you want to tell paul why you call it the best little warehouse in texas matthew
0: that's the name of that's the name of the show
1: that that's what your mother told you it was when you were a child what yeah
2: Yeah. the best little warehouse in texas yeah she didn't want you to know that it was our house no he's from fort wayne so
0: this is the same woman that wouldn't let me watch Um, Rocky Horror Picture Show because she said and I quote, you'll get too into it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How old were you at this time? Like,
0: I mean, young. I was like, like, I was a kid.
2: (laughs) I'm going, I think I'm going to call it Best Little Warehouse in Texas from now on. I I hope you do. I I know I do.
1: Uh, Richard Gurman, the co-author of this episode, brings several writing credits to the table including Laverne and Shirley, Mark and Mindy, and uh, Happy Days, among others. Paul, you may have performed one of his scripts in the Happy Days live show. Very possible. It could have a a connection here. And uh, Mr. Gurman would also go on to write and produce. 227, Different Strokes, Married with Children and Still Standing, among others. Episode, again, directed by John Boab. This is synopsis time. Paul, you left us hanging. With part one, now is the time for us to ask you to give us the TV guide elevator pitch of what happens in part
2: two, go! Beverly Lan is upset that she almost killed the preacher, so she leaves, because it turns out she's done everything bad in, in Mrs. G's life. Her boyfriends, her old wedding, her divorce, her meatloaf, Everything bad, Beverly Ann's been there for So she takes off and she goes to a lonely trailer camp. And while she's there, the girls show up out of nowhere because they found a map. <laughs> One of four maps that pop up in this episode, by the way. Wow. While they're there, Mrs. Garrett shows up because she found a map. And then Bruce shows up because he found a map. Glued to, glued to his windshield. They all chat and try to work things out and they decide they're going to do the wedding and they're going to go. And so Beverly Ann is going to drive, but they all say, no, let Mrs. G, you know, someone who has never driven this RV across country. She gets in it and somehow drives off a cliff. So now the (laughs) RV is hanging off a cliff, literally a cliffhanger. Literally. Literally. They have to hang in the back. They have to get out. Then there's a ledge, and they're out and they save, and then wedding. I think that's the synopsis. You
1: you covered everything. You covered all the bases there. Wow. Uh, I just want to point out that George Clooney is nowhere to be found. For this new member of the family that they had hanging around the shop all last season it is surprising that, okay, George Clooney, where, what could he have had going on, the character George Burnett, that he couldn't be at this wedding at this, that's kind of weird to me. But just throwing that out there.
2: He was busy becoming George Clooney. Yeah,
1: like, like you do. So we ready for the microscopic dissection kids. We start back. Guess where, Natalie writing late night with the cup of coffee she told us she was going to get before the commercial. And oddly, because they wanted to keep this breaking the fourth wall conceit, uh, she types, Mrs. Garrett wished she had valet parking. Then she looks at the camera and says, how many L's in valet? And it's like, they, it's like you, you really felt you had to, oh God, we can't stop with this new conceit now. We've got to make sure to have another moment of that. It's like, okay, fine. It's upsetting. (laughs) So we go back to the wedding. They bring in the minister. He's a little shaken up, a little beaten up, um, played by actor Charlie Dell. Charlie Dell is still alive. He is 78 years old, 77 credits, and a 51-year career, according to IMDb. Uh, He was a regular recurring character on a show in 1978 called Jason of Star Command. That's weird, I don't even know what that show is. He also had some regular recurring roles on the Dukes of Hazzard, Fairytale Theater, and he was uh, in 65 out of the 99 episodes of Evening Shade from 90 to 94, the wonderful Burt Reynolds, Mary Lou Henner uh, sitcom uh, written and produced by Linda Bloodworth Thomason.
2: Michael Jeter was on that.
1: The wonderful Michael Jeter. Uh, for those people who did not want to change the channel after designing women so uh with the preacher there now shaken up and upset rightfully so at beverly ann andy carts out eve and ruth we got to get rid of the old ladies um and then mrs garrett is like okay shit's going wrong now it's off was on remember remember it was on it was off it was on It it was off it's off again. I can't do this. Uh, And he's like, but it's just a, a, you know, it's just a
0: fly in the Metamucil.
1: Yes, exactly. He says, well, then let's not do this now. Let's do it on the ship. Let's, we, we can just wing it. And she says, that's it. We're winging everything. We're going too fast. This is my life. And I'm not like this. I make solid thoughtful decisions and I don't do things on a whim. And uh, interesting, because in an interview show earlier, she was like, oh, I believe in mixing up your life and shaking things up and see what happens. It's like, or or not, whatever.
2: And this um, is the woman that was like a uh, re- taxi driver. Uh, she went to the Peace Corps. Yeah. She restaurant, like she had 17 jobs before she decided to take care of some strange girls after she took care of the Drummond children.
1: Yeah, who are going to graduate and leave you.
2: Uh, store, which she goes into because she's upset. This uh, was one of my favorite scenes.
1: This, uh, the next scene in the store. Yes, okay, we'll get to that. Uh, but before that, um, so when the paramedics arrive, Bruce, as a doctor, offers to go with them to help out because of course he feels terrible. And so the fact that uh, he, he says, I love you, Edna. More than anything else, I want you to come with me, but one way or another, I'm going. So he says to her, are, "Are you are you coming with with me?" And she says, "No." And then he's gone. At which point, Beverly Ann, this has something to do with me, doesn't it? It's a terrible Cloris Leachman impression.
0: No, I um, think it's as dead on as your as your Conrad Bain. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um,
1: so here's the deal. It's, this is a read the room moment. This is a, oh, we're, we're sticking to the flaky ditzy thing, aren't we? The read the room. This has something to do with me. Really, girl? You just walked in. But uh, anyway, uh, she says, I ruin everything, Adna. I'm sorry. And Mrs. Garrett says, uh, the man I love just walked out that door the minute you walked in. And she storms into the store. And then Tootie and Joe say, well, maybe we should go talk to her. And Beverly Ann's like, well, maybe I should. And they're like, no, you've done enough already. Sitcom trope. Yes. So you said you liked this next scene in the store where Mrs. Garrett is trying to keep herself busy. Talk to me, what did you like about this scene, Paul?
2: What is she doing in there? She's just like touching things. And then at one point she's cleaning a cup. I don't even know what it was, but (laughs) she just, it's like watching a woman spin. And I just wanted to see her just like jump through the window or something. Like, (laughs) it's like she needed a fix. Like, she just is touching this, like, I mean, it it makes no sense. Like, not even in an acting choice, like, it made no sense. And let's also, come on. The guy's, like, picking the Peace Corps over the love of his life. He can't, like, marry her and go next year to the Peace Corps. The Peace Corps is always going to be there, pal. Yeah. And... If you're a doctor, why couldn't you doctor him sitting on that bench in the living room? Why do you have to get into an ambulance and go to the hospital to doctor?
1: Yeah. <laughs> doctors who can are doctors. Doctors who can't go into the Peace
2: Corps, clearly. <laughs> is there a doctor in the house? Yes, but I have to go to the hospital. <laughs> to the doctor. So don't ask me to do anything here. Oh, but yeah, you're so this, right. I don't know why this scene is... I, I just kept waiting for her to even if she just stopped, but it was just, and it didn't even work like, you know, how you get like, oh, like, I don't know, you're stacking plates. Like there's a reason for your busy work because you're not thinking, but there was nothing for her to do. There was no restocking. It's almost like they said, so, uh, you know, we're going to do the scene in here. Just touch things.
1: Yeah. Try to act like you need to keep busy to distract yourself from how upset you are. We're
2: not going to add anything like to stock or put away or yeah, just just, I don't know, whatever you find, do something.
1: And she does say, I couldn't leave here anyway. Like there's so much to do. Well, why didn't they, even as ridiculous as it sounds, as far as I couldn't leave here anyway, we have this display of slinkies that needed to be assembled. So yeah,
2: that's (laughs) what I'm doing. Or stack, shoulder pads to sell.
0: Okay. I think you would be on her shit, David, if she said something like, oh, I can't get married. I have to put this slinky set together. (laughs) Whereas I appreciate the choice that was made because that is what you do when you are in a manic state. There may be nothing for you to do, but you're finding whatever the Fuck, I can do My kitchen has been cleaned But I'm still manic And I'm just gonna, fuck, give me a toothbrush To fucking, you know So I think, I think I, I'm not mad at her choice there Like, there was nothing to do But she was so manic She was finding whatever, inane thing To do I, I think, hand her the Emmy
2: <laughs> I do agree with the Emmy
1: Well, then we go to the living room Blair and Natalie are sitting on the couch. Beverly Ann is trying to physically cozy up to them, kind of put her arms around them, saying I wanted to make a good impression. And uh, she does say that Edna used to send me photos and write to me about you girls, kind of in the, I, I feel like I already know you. And then she says, oh, 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 and I brought presents. And they're like, Beverly Ann, we're not in the mood. And then she says, I've really messed things up, haven't I? cutting back to the store, Joe says to Mrs. Garrett, and I'm quoting this, you're acting like an idiot. She says that to her face. You always taught us you can't run from your problems. And Mrs. Garrett says, please just leave me alone. So they do. And then when Joe and Tootie come back into the living room, they say to Blair and Natalie, where is Beverly Ann? And they say, she left. So then we go to the campground. We have this uh, clearly, a sound stage dressed up to look like the outdoor nighttime, maybe gathering, barbecue, picnic area uh, of this campground. We pass by a sign that has uh, a sign that says picnic area with an arrow going one way, and then another sign that says depressed person's cliff pointing in another direction. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, I appreciate a good suicide joke. <laughs> I mean, wow. Talk about the things you say, well, they'd never put, they'd get away with that today. It's like, oh my God, that's that's, that's pretty rough, man.
2: Maybe so, there's actually something like that in Peekskill and they had to be historically accurate.
1: Maybe. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we get to Beverly Ann in the Winnebago. She's there, she's feeling bad about herself. And then uh, the girls show up and they apologize. And so then Mrs. Garrett, oh, and the girls show up because of the map. They said, well, you left yeah. behind a map. Now, when and where she left that map? That's a very good question, isn't it?
2: Was that the gift?
1: Yeah, maybe. And then after they talk and apologize, then Edna shows up and she's like, well, there was a map hanging from the chandelier, didn't she say? Mm-hmm. So who, where's the Easter bunny that planted all of these maps and all these places? Where's and the then,
2: chandelier? Huh? Where's
1: the chandelier? It's true. In the yeah. living room. You're right. They don't have a fucking chandelier. What is that about? <laughs> you're 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 analyzing you've you've got got good eyes there, sir. Uh and then Bruce shows up. Uh, and of course, she's so happy because. He did kind of choose her as it were, like came back to her because I think she thought he wasn't coming back. Well, he says, uh, well, I follow the map glued to my windshield. You did pick up on that, glued. Wow. So then he says, if you want me to stay, I'll stay. Just marry me. And it's like, well, what, what? why didn't you say that before when it was the ship leaves tomorrow morning? We yeah. could have avoided
2: all of this, Michigan. Avoided a second episode.
1: There was something like you know, it wasn't like, well, there's a guy uh, with a kidney that they need to replace, and he's on the table now, and I need to get there. It's like, th- th- what was the urgency,
2: especially it's now the, where? It's the peace war. You're going to you're going to plant corn and dig a trench, <laughs> and fuck. Let's get real. <laughs> I'm
1: saying that's what the last time was 20 years ago in the Peace Corps. They yes. were, that was the 60s, baby. They were they were part of the love child generation. Uh, anyway, at this point now, you know, wedding's on, wedding's off, on, off, on. Well, it's on again. Mrs. Garrett says, well, yeah, of course, I still want to marry you. But there's no time. And he says, well, I thought of that. The minister is okay. I brought him with me. So they're like, great, let's do it. So then... Mrs. Garrett gets behind the wheel of the Winnebago because Beverly Ann, she's such a flake. She fucks things up when she drives. (laughs) And Mrs. Garrett drives, something happens. And yes, cliffhanger, they are hanging literally off of a cliff and they might die when they go to commercial.
0: Would it have been too much to have Beverly Ann after all of this episode and her fucking everything up, would it have been one thing too far to have her drive the thing over the cliff? I mean, you know what I mean? Was it was it was it a choice? Like, like, why? OK, we can't hate her anymore. I think so.
2: Did they need to go over the cliff? Just go outside and have the wedding, like have the car not start. Like, why did we have to do this cliff thing? It didn't do anything, did it? It, no. it just,
1: I mean, it just created a, it's, it ate up some time and created some fabricated tension. Um, and, and at the end, you know, we know coming up in the future, it is Beverly Ann who will ultimately save the day by coming down through the overhatch to supposedly yeah. pull Bruce and Edna out of there before they plunge to their death. Uh, but we're at commercial again, Paul. And I told you oh. last week that uh, we were talking about your career uh, the early parts and what got you out to LA. I want to talk about your stage career, your appearances on the Broadway. Yes. You took on the role of Amos in Chicago. I did. How long did you do that?
2: Um, I did Amos two separate times. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time it was for about six or seven months. Oh wow, okay, nice. I ended up getting the cancer. Oh, yeah, and so H- I- how did that go for you? I'm fine, but <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it was a weird experience. I started in June and at the end of August, I was like, why are my ankles swelling and why is my neck swelling? Like my earlobes were like sticking out. Like I was like, am I gaining weight? What's happening? And by the time we did all the tests and stuff, it turned out I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I was like doing the show and everything is fine. Um, I even, the night that I found out, definitely that I had it, the the doctor left it as a message on my uh, voice machine. And I called into the show and I didn't want to let them know what was happening. So I just said, hey, I can't, I'm I'm not feeling good, you know, coming tonight. And they were like, oh, a couple of our dancers, their back hurt and their neck hurt and they called out. And so we don't really have a replacement for you. Is there any way you can make it? And I was like, sure. Mm. So there I was singing. Mr. I have cancer. So I did Yeah, so that happened. Then I went through the cancer, which was about a 10 month situation. And I have to say they said they would have me back when I was all ready to go. And literally that following June, almost to the day, they had me back and I did another run of the oh show. And then i have done it on tour for like five years. I did the national tour.
1: And you are cancer free now, though?
2: As far as I know, yeah.
1: How long have you been? Seven years. Oh, eleven. That's that's a good that's a good time frame to be cancer free. It's, it's all right. I'm taking well.
2: it. I'll 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 take it. Yeah, that's, I that's i about it because I don't deal with my feelings well, so.
1: You and me both. <laughs> you know what's a good way to avoid them? Do a podcast where you obsess over 200 episodes of an 80s sitcom.
2: <laughs> what's going to happen when you get to the end? You have that, to get another
1: sitcom. That, 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 no, we're not talking about that. Okay. Um, so that's great. When you were on Broadway, were your Roxys or your Velmas anybody famous? Did you have any famous uh, Roxy Velmas come through the company? Um,
2: uh, the Roxy and the Velmas all stayed kind of the same. And they're, they're pretty s- solid Broadway women. Yeah. The, they're, what they did is the Mama Mortons kind of changed. So oh. my one Mama Morton was Wendy Williams oh my god how you doing exactly so she i have to say i know that there's lots of controversy about her now and stuff like that but at the time she was fine because i never i don't have any scenes amos and mama morton have no scenes together amos and billy have like one scene and i think amos and Velma's have like no scenes so the relationships you have with these people are backstage so amos and mama are off stage almost all the time
1: oh got you and then
2: she doesn't so you get to know them fairly well so she was i have to say she was lovely she was like look i'm not a broadway actress but they asked me to do it and who doesn't want to do broadway and i'm like i get it and she really tried her hardest and you know she did what she could do she went into rehearsals and she would sing um you know when you're good to mama and that was it and then they're like okay let's work on the next song and she goes there's a, there's another song oh fuck. she had no idea oh, no. that she had the duet because Pass. she watched the movie That's... and in the movie they cut the song so she just thought she had one song so she had said yes based on just doing this one song so that was interesting <laughs> um, but she was fine she, would, she was nice enough she would just sit back there and she would read her, you know, rag newspapers about what she was going to talk the next day on her show, and, Man. and she promoted the show. So I have to say she was nice. We also had this woman who was considered like the Barbra Streisand of Russia. And what they did is they had her come into our show for a week, and then she went and did it over in Russia, and, you know, they said, straight from Broadway. Mm-hmm. So they would do that a lot. They would bring people in for a little bit. And um, she was fantastic as Mama Morton, because she had this Russian accent that was still there, kind of harsh. And she was very like cute blonde, but she had this hard accent. And there's this one line that Mama Morton has to say like, um, first time one of our girls has ever gotten knocked up. Oh yeah. And this is not like the, the this woman was like, I don't know, knocked up, which is concept of not, like she didn't know <laughs> what that meant. Yeah. So every night she would deliver the line and it would sound like a warped record. And she'd always go, First time when you ever, girls, you ever got Like, every night. And I'm standing there because I have, it's called the pop-ups, and I have to pop up in a second. So I got to listen to this every night. And it was one of my favorite <laughs> things ever of being in that show. was like, never ever got up. Because she just didn't know what it was. She didn't know how to deliver the line. Nobody helped her. She just said it in her warped way. Wow. So yeah. then...
1: You also talked about uh, taking over for Harvey Firestein in the role of Edna Turnblad in Hairspray in Vegas and then doing it on Broadway. Yeah. And there's a clip I found on YouTube of you on Regis and Kelly performing oh. it in the role of Wilbur, your husband, Jerry
2: Mathers. Jerry Mathers.
1: I, I have a lot of
2: husbands. If you like 80s TV, I've had the husband's. You... In Vegas, it was Eddie Mecca.
0: Shut up. Eddie oh my Mecca
2: God. was my in Vegas, um, and then on the Broadway, my husbands were um, Jerry Mathers, mm-hmm. Jerry um, Burns, Jerry Burns. Is that right?
0: He was the blonde on Dear John.
2: Yes, the kind of hot guy blonde. Yeah, and then. They had telling me, we got your, your next husband after Jerry Burns. I was like, well, who's that? And he goes, Jim J. Bullock. <gasps> and I was like, are you insane? The big gay guy from Too Close for Comfort? And they're like, yeah, he's, he's done the tour and you know, we think you like him and stuff. I was like, all right. Jim J. Bullock came on and was the best Wilbur I had had. Wow. He's the most delightful human being. I couldn't love him more. Oh! And then when, um, actually we got to do it again. Like when I, I think I did it in, was it Pittsburgh? And they asked me, "Who do I want for my husband?" I was like, "Can you call Jim Jabula Wow! That's yeah, I have a. There's great. a couple of guys that I just really click with, and because then I did regionally a lot.
1: Yeah, there's a bootleg also of you on Broadway performing it with Scott Davidson.
2: Oh, that, yes, Scott was the understudy.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: (laughs) So here's the story.
1: Here's the story. By the way, I haven't talked to him in 30 years. I went to
2: college and did shows with Scott Davidson at UMass Amherst. I like Scott. He's a lovely person. So he was the standby, or I guess not understudy, but the standby. Standby. for Edna, Wilbur, and the male authority figure. So you have to know all those parts. Mm -hmm. So what happened was Jerry Burns wanted to leave the show for a weekend to go and do a I think like a pilot audition or something in LA and they said no and so during the first act he hurt his ankle oh no Harry burns and had to leave so in the second act Scott had to come on as Wilbur wow and so we just did this whole thing where it was like there's something so different about you yet familiar I mean you're saying all the right things you're just <laughs> <laughs> and so you know the audience ate it up and the two of us like were laughing like idiots and stuff mm. so he was a delight and then he he was there because jerry couldn't make the show until after the weekend wow his angel felt better
1: well, there's some fun ad-libbing going on there you guys
2: look like you're having a great time in this clip oh mm. and it's like some of this i know some of the um edna's and wilbur's would plan their stuff and make it look like but no that's all real and he said he does some there's some sports reference he makes that just i lost it and
1: yeah i it's it's in there and it's it is you can see that the happy and the the play of you two have yeah. a good time and i watched the clip and it's just listed as you paul vote edna Turnblad, hairspray whatever broadway and i'm looking going who is that guy who is I? Oh. He's, he's somebody. He's famous. Who is I? I'm like uh, I can't place it. nice. suddenly went. Oh my god! It's Scott. I went to fucking. I did Kiss Me Kate with him in 1987 or something.
2: That's nuts! Yeah, he's he's great. He's a great funny, guy.
1: funny. He was he was hilarious even back then. My god.
2: Yeah, he did a lot. I think he was like he was over at the producers, and I think he played Amos before I did. Uh,
1: that sounds right. I think I think I saw him do that at college too. I think was he here behind me? He might've done Amos the year after I left. Wow. And, and he was also, yeah, he was doing producers and uh, he's in the movie. He's one of the background yeah. chorines before springtime for Hitler. He's in the movie. And I'm like, I know that guy. Um, but we cannot t- talk about Hairspray Paul without talking about Hairspray Live. The live broadcast that happened, which had you in the role of Harriman F. Spritzer. Crazy. But I it contained Harvey Firestein reprising Edna Turnblad, but also a cast including Jennifer Hudson, Ariana Grande, Martin Short, Andrea Martin, Derek Hoff, Christian Chenoweth. Um, I want all the stories right now, this minute, please.
2: Um, I'll see what I can do. Or, or find I... me two
1: stories, uh, interesting celebrity stories about meeting
2: these people. The suit that they put me in at one point for Herb and was John Candy's suit from a movie he did. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to Andrea Martin and Martin Short, who were like my comedy idols that I watched SCTV growing up and I wanted to be the next John Candy. And I had become pals on Twitter with his daughter. And so I said to them, hey, this is John Candy's suit from that movie he did with maureen o'hara and they were like what and we took a picture and it was just kind of sweet and they're like oh we're gonna send it to their kids and our families and stuff and i was just like so i was like john candy ish with martin it. so that was interesting
1: oh my god um,
2: the uh, jerry Mitchell's fantastic and i wish he had directed the whole thing mm-hmm. he's so good spending a lot of time with harvey on that was really fun ariana grande was lovely she um she won like the ama for like best singer like one of the nights before it was at rehearsal like the next day and they gave her a big cake and stuff like i never she never did that nutty entourage thing like there were i was people. just gonna
1: ask you did she have an entourage was that I mean, or did jennifer
2: I mean, they were like her friends and stuff. And Jennifer, like, nobody was unattainable, oh, I have to say. Like, I had nice chats with her when we had downtime and stuff. Ariana Grande's mother is one of them. I can't, I love this woman. I would do whatever. <laughs> Joan Grande. And they just started a new company that produces shows. Joan Grande is the best. Oh. Frankie, Ariana. They're all, they're really actually lovely, lovely people. But Joan Grande, she, drove, she drives up and you're like, Yes, madam. What can I do? Like, no, <laughs> so nice. One day I walked by. Like, there were, there were two sound stages we took over, and there were dressing rooms in each sound stage, and each one of those dressing room hallways had a green room. And I walked by the green room that Ariana's dressing room was in. And there's the mother and all of Ariana's friends and stuff. And I think Jennifer Hudson and her people. And they were all there. And they had just gotten like food from like Buca di Beppo. And she's like, Paul, get in here. Have a meatball. Sa- make Paul a meatball sandwich. Get a meatball. Get some garlic bread. You make it a sandwich. Aww. And I was like, oh, okay. So she's like, tomorrow we're going to have Chinese. You come down here. I'll make sure you get a Chinese. Like, I was like Don't go I love you so much. You're so funny. So she was really fantastic. And Ariana Grande also got the cast, these bomber jackets. It's one of the nicest jackets I own with our names on it. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And made sure everybody got like the right size. Like she went around to the customer and.
1: Oh, that's so sweet. I
2: have to, I, I wish I had salacious things, but they're all kind of nice things.
1: Well, talking about Andrea Martin and Martin Short, is there any other time in your career where you got to work with, people that you idolized, that you, you know, that you admired before you were ever actually doing the work?
2: Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Now I have to think back. Uh, well, you know, when I did the rerun show, they had like Eric Estrada was on, like they started bringing people on the show. Oh doing, yeah. And we did, we did an episode of, um, why can't I think of the name of it? Where rerun is on and what's happening, yes, we did what's happening, and I played rerun. Oh my god, we could not do Woo! that, should were, not do that. It shouldn't were, were be you on actually thing.
1: in like make colored makeup. No. no, okay, but
2: good. they put it like this wig on me, and it, I look like a, a large Jewish boy. <laughs> and I have the suspenders, but so Fred Rerun Barry was the guest for that show. So here I'm like freaking out because I'm playing rerun to rerun oh, wow. like and he comes over to me and he has this really high voice he always sort of this high southern voice and he'd come over and he goes your suspenders are wrong and he changed my suspenders and stuff and he goes now when you're popping a lock and you want to do this you want to do that and, and he like gave me stuff so he was totally in he thought it was funny he got the show he oh. got the comedy and i was like oh thank god but i was terrified yeah and then on MAD TV, I played Diana DeGarmo and oh. we did, we did. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awful. We did a sketch um, with all the, the American Idol people. Yeah. And I played Diana DeGarmo because I don't know if you remember when she was on there, they were like, you're really good, but we think you should lose some weight. Oh, and she fuck. was like tiny, but they kept picking on her about her clothing and her weight. And you're like, this girl weighs nothing. So, of course, when they were looking for who, what idol I was going to play, they made me play Diana DeGarmo. And so I kept doing this thing where it's like, hi, I'm Diana DeGarmo, I'm the cutest thing in the world. And then the camera would cut away. So every time I talked or did anything, the camera would cut away. So then I go to the Broadway. Mm-hmm. And Penny Pingleton, Diana DeGarmo. That's right. That's right. She you know? did play that. I'm doing the show. So I'm like, okay, uh, uh, never gonna say a word to her. I'm not gonna say a word. So we're getting to know each other and we turned out we were staying in the same um, apartment building near the theater. And so we would walk to the show and we became friends and her mother was there cause she was still at, at that age where her mom had to be around and stuff. Mm-hmm. And her mother was like a no nonsense, like Southern woman, but I again liked her, respected her. And we all got along and stuff. So then one day, Diana DeGarmer and I are in the makeup room and nobody else is around. And she goes, Hey, I just found out that you were on Matt TV. Well, I don't like that show because I heard this Asian guy played me in a sketch. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> No. And it was one of those moments where I was like, Do I say, Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Lee, fuck Bobby that Lee. guy. <laughs> and, he's and, and so I just stopped and I went, Diana, it was me. And she went, What? And I went, I played you in that sketch and here's why. And I can't believe that. And she's like, it's all right. No, it's fine. It's okay. And then I think we found it and watched it together. And she goes, oh, I get it. You know, she laughed. And then she gave me, I have a DVD from her and and she signed it to the only man I'll ever let play me on TV. Oh. Yeah. So I adore her. adore her and I thank her for not killing me.
1: Yeah, that is, it's weird because you think of like, there are times that Deborah Wilson would cross paths with Oprah and how many times she did. I'm, Oprah on the sh- skewering. I mean, not, not punching up, punching down.
0: You also worked with the wonderful Gary Coleman on the rerun show. <laughs> he did come and do an episode. With Mrs. Garrett. He was the security guard. He was the for security guard in that episode, yeah.
2: Was he as batshit as everybody said he was? You know, we did, I, he wasn't there long enough. He just came in and did that bit and then was gone. Nah. You know, I know he didn't do anything. Like Eric Estrada was there for the the whole day, and he played a cop when we did the the episode with the uh, Osbournes, as if we were married uh, with children, children, the
1: Weenie Tots episode.
2: Yes, uh. Weenie Tots. and so. Um, he was there, He again, he was nice. And then I'd run into him a couple of times and then it turned, I ran into him. I used to love to go to like little street fairs or church fairs. They, I love them so much. And he actually was at one one time and he said, he's like, Paul, Matt TV. Me and my family love you. You're a favorite guy on Matt TV. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, Eric Estrada. I wanted to have sex with you and you're on chips. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's used to hearing Here's that. That's my just, offering to the doctor.
2: Yeah.
1: thank you so much this is this is stuff we love to hear from the people who are actually in the show business since we are so far on the outskirts of this but how's about we tie up this episode huh yeah um how's about we just glide right on through will they make it out of the winnebago that's on the ledge yes they do beverly ann is kind of the one who does the final saving of them and then uh, they end up doing the wedding right there at the campground. They have found a couple of campers. One of the guys plays the harmonica. They find some candles and Mrs. Mrs. Garrett is like, oh, you know, I've actually always wanted a candlelight procession. And, and they're putting baby's breath in her hair. You're like, did they just pick that from somewhere?
2: It was the, the blueberry bush where they made her bouquet
1: from. Oh, it's the blueberry bush. That's right. So um, before... The actual wedding takes place though. They have another cry moment for me where she now goes down the line to each of the girls. They say, well, you taught us so much, we're gonna miss you. And she's like, no, you taught me. And then she goes one at a time down the line. And, uh, and then the final moment between Beverly Ann and Edna where Beverly Ann says, you know, being with the girls now kind of taking your place. I'm gonna to try to be just like you. And Edna says, be yourself. That's the best thing you can give them. <sighs> and the music, the background music, pulling at the heartstrings, I, I cried again, just saying. The wedding happens, it's lovely. Um, do you, oh, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? I will. Do you oh, take uh, this woman? I will. I'm like, did um, did di, did you not hear the? That's the I do. That's kind of a, a common phrase people say at a wedding.
2: Maybe they were nervous they were going to actually be married if they said I do.
1: Oh, that's that was their escape clause if Charlotte Ray ever wanted to come back to the show.
2: I'm ready to Robert now. <laughs> no. And then
1: as they leave, the final words of the preacher. May God bless all your footsteps. Is, is that a thing? I'm not. A, ah. I mean, I'm just saying, I don't yeah. know. I'm not up. I'm, I'm up on television weddings and that's when I had never heard before.
2: Well, Matthew has the foot fetish. So. Oh,
1: is that a foot fetish thing? Is that what the, you think? That's what the minister was into.
0: Yeah. So if you could please not kink shame, that would be great. <laughs> okay.
1: I'm sorry. Did not mean to. Um, so then final moment. Mrs. Garrett throws the bouquet of blueberries, and the joke is, when it is caught, it's squishy. Oh, I got blueberries on my hand, whoa. But it is Joe who catches the bouquet. And she is the next one of them to get married in season nine, Joe gets married. So how about that? Whether they were planning for Joe to be married next season or if it was just random and happened to fall that way, how, how fascinating. So then final scene, Natalie typing at the typewriter, and that's how we said goodbye to dear Mrs. Garrett. And then Beverly Ann comes down and she says, Natalie, I'm counting noses and your nose is missing. Now she's coming down from where the girl's bedroom is, meaning she's going into the girl's fucking bedroom and count checking to make sure they're there. Tootie's 18 now. They're not not children. You're not their guardian. You're not responsible for them. And then, I mean, what a beautiful send off for Edna, but what a shitty, awful introduction to Beverly Ann, because then she says to Natalie, I didn't talk to Edna specifically about this, but... I'm almost sure that 3 a.m. is past your bedtime. And Natalie says, it's okay, I'm nearly finished. But it's like, what, is that who Beverly, is she going to be that bitch? It's like a (laughs) bedtime for, Natalie's 19. She's an adult. She has a job. What the fuck is happening? Who are you and what are you doing in this show?
0: Oh, The original line was, you know, I'm coming from a farm, so I was counting udders, and I'm too short.
2: I've got to milk you at 7 (laughs) a.m. You should be
0: asleep. It's better for everyone if you're asleep.
2: (laughs) Jesus Christ.
0: Which is another movie I did back in the 80s. (laughs)
2: That one, I think I saw.
0: But,
1: yeah. So, and here's the thing, before we get to the final, final moment, the Beverly Ann, how, couldn't she have said something like, you know, Natalie could have said, oh God, I'm sorry, did I wake you up and have her say, no, it's okay. Edna wrote to me about how you would type in the middle of the night. I liked, I liked waking up to hear that. And you know, something like, you know, this is cool. I'm I'm part of this. And you know, I only heard about you and your lives from afar. And now I get to be a part of them up close. That could have been a nice little introduction of Beverly Ann moment. But instead we get this, like you're the fucking prison guard making your rounds at three o'clock. Jesus. But but okay, rant is over. Final moment. Natalie says, I'm nearly finished. I'm going to bed. Type, 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 turns out the light. And the final shot is of the typed page where it says, and that's how we said goodbye to dear Mrs. Garrett. And at the bottom of the story, it doesn't say the end. No. Uh, Paul vote as Mrs. Garrett, what does it say? The
2: beginning.
1: Oh, it's a new start. Oh, <laughs> mm. for all of the problems we have pointed out, all the rants I have gone on, um, I really did kind of love this, just for the mushy moments, for the Mrs. Garrett goodbye moments and stuff. Yeah, the Beverly Ann is, this is a rocky start, and it will continue to be so as she kind of tries to find her way, and they try to find her way, but I... I did kind of love this episode. I think it's one of my favorites, even though I hate so, so much of it.
2: <laughs> I kind of wish that um, Mrs. Garrett and Bruce had died over the cliff in the RV.
1: Oh, that would have been so hilarious. And
0: That's what I was going to say when we were talking about like why that happens, because it's building suspense. We know it's Mrs. Garrett's last episode. And this is the time of who shot JR and all of the waking up in Dallas and being like, Oh, I was just joking you ain't dead. So it was not beyond the realm of possibility that they would fucking kill them off.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. We were talking about how Andy is, we later find out he's a a foster child. Yeah. That's why his his parents split up. And so he needs to find a new, probably going to be moved to a new foster home. And that's when Beverly Ann adopts him. We're kind of like, you know what would have been really handy? When Edna's edibles burned down, if Andy's parents had been there and died in that fire, number one, hilarious. Number two, really would have helped as far as, that would have, you know, killed two birds with one stone, literally and figuratively. You know,
2: they missed all their Emmy opportunities. These would have been Emmy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they did. They did. Uh, Paul, vote. You have been a delight, and I cannot say enough thank yous for giving us your time, your talent, and your magnificent stories. Thank you so much.
2: I only wish it could be
0: more. Oh well. Okay, we'll talk about the next episode. Oh, Let's um. I- huh? What? Nope, Paul, may I say something because I've been such a fan and I just, I flatter myself to say that we're best friends now. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to be, I was so glad that you came on for this episode because you turned what could have been a very sappy, sad episode into something that was wonderful. And I'm going to ask you to try to explain to David Because I've tried to explain to him as someone who knows, and and you are someone who knows, what is it like to just be so wonderful? Uh, (laughs) Well, being,
2: now, are you saying that David is wonderful or you and I are wonderful?
0: No, you and I, I've, I've tried to explain to David what this is like, and, and I don't think he grasps.
2: But so for I, me open, you can put it in better words. How yeah. do you tell somebody like David?
1: Yeah, Matthew tells me he is wonderful and clearly I don't get it, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, David, if you could float, mm-hmm. um, it's like that. Okay. Feeling like the earth doesn't really respond to you because you are above the earth. Uh huh.
1: And, and better than other people
2: is what Matthew. Well, that goes without saying, I don't need to say that. (laughs) Which again proves why we're wonderful because you had to say it and we did not.
1: So. Oh, okay. See there, that's the, that's the disconnect. That's the problem right there. Yeah. When
2: you realize that you don't have to say it, you might be in our, our group.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I will once again submit my application in triplicate uh, during open enrollment when that comes around again. But until then, Paul, on behalf of myself and Matthew, thank you so much, smooches, and goodbye.
2: Mwah. Thanks, bye, thanks.
1: And there you have it. That was Paul Vote. So much fun. Again, I am so, so happy and appreciative that he took the time to be here with us. And, uh, oh, just dream come true, so, so happy. Now, we've got a little bit of extra time, and I thought that I would take a moment and talk a little more in-depth about what I didn't talk about last week. The whole question of where does this Peace Corps thing fit into the timeline that is the life of Edna Garrett. So, uh, here's the additional stuff that I figured out, all right? Now, going back to when we were speculating that Mrs. Garrett was born sometime around 1930. That corroborates the mention that she made that she was only in junior high school during the Second World War. So that kind of uh, does fit there. So uh, if we're keeping these dates loose and fuzzy, all right, her senior prom would have been around 1948. And uh, that's when she would have run off with the vacuum cleaner salesman that we can only presume is Mr. Garrett and the father of her children. So she would have had her kids shortly thereafter. So I looked up the ages of the actors who played her kids to see if that might give us some insight. And sure enough, uh, Alex, her son, who is, I think, the older one, the musician, played by actor Tom Fitzsimmons, Tom Fitzsimmons was born in 1947, and her son Raymond, played by Joel Brooks, Joel Brooks was born in 1949. So if we say, okay, these two actors are around the same age as the two characters, kind of give it a a fuzzy matchup, then we've got somewhere in the late 40s is when Mrs. Garrett graduated high school, took off and started her family. So we also know that she was still in Appleton, Wisconsin, raising her two sons when they were very young. That was something that her friend verified, the the one who came in from out of town thinking that Edna had been having an affair with her husband. Uh, I can't think of what that's, uh, dear, dear friend, dear old friend. Anyway, um... So that puts her still in Appleton in the 50s when the boys would have been young up until them being, you know, around 10 or early teen years. Uh, Now, the missing piece that we're kind of leaning towards here is, as I said, if she knew Bruce... 20 years before this episode, possibly more than 20 years. That would have her in the Peace Corps sometime around 1966, maybe returning sometime around 1968. Well, if you do the math, if she left the country in 1966, that would mean her oldest son was around 19 and that her youngest son was around 17. So we can kind of... Take that to say likely she did wait until both of her sons were grown up and adults, maybe when the youngest turned 18. That is when she took off, did two years in the Peace Corps, and then came back and had that decade to do some of this other stuff. In New York, such as driving a cab, becoming a nurse, <laughs> and then uh, deciding to chuck it all to become the live-in housekeeper for the Drummonds. So, what I'm getting towards here is that this is one of those moments where it kind of works. It makes sense, and with the the fuzziness of the dates, we can kind of make it make sense and. That is very rare and weird. Usually, they'll throw in something that is absolutely impossible. Uh, but in this case, I uh, am shocked to hear my own self say that this is okay and this is Canon. Edna was in the Peace Corps 20 years prior to this, or even more than 20 years. So uh, well done, Paul Haggis and Michael Moore in your explanation of her history, and uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to be ending this episode on this positive note where uh, there is no rip in the fabric of the multiverse of the Facts of Life Cinematic Universe, or as you know, we love to call it, the Folk you. And don't forget, Matthew and I actually recorded our conversation with Diana Eden discussing the costumes for the wedding, including Mrs. Garrett's dress, the bridesmaid's dresses, and all that fun stuff. That is an episode of TV Talkaholics, which is the other podcast that we do that's available through our Patreon. The link there is in the show notes. And, of course, as a thank you to Diana for always giving us fun insider information, we always want to push and recommend her book stars in their underwear. It is a great read and uh, would be a great Christmas gift also if you have a person who loves theater or costuming or acting or anything Hollywood memoir E. So next week we're going to be watching Season 8, Episode 3, called Ready or Not. You can watch the episode ahead of time for free on DailyMotion.com. I will post a link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you.
0: Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review! This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.